Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Guys, we're really excited today. We've got a great show lined up. We've got Lindsay Garrett with us. She's one of our North America keepers at the Cincinnati Zoo. Specifically, she tends to focus a lot of her time with our manatees. So we're really excited to have you. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad we're talking about manatees today. Yeah, me too. It's something that's really cool that we do here at Cincinnati Zoo that not a whole lot of zoos do. Manatees obviously are very awesome animals, but we want to hear more about that. Tell us about the program. Tell us about yourself. We can start off like we usually do. Just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and, you know, kind of what your daily tasks are. All right, so I've been with the manatee program for about 15 years here. I didn't think I wanted to work with manatees coming into the Cincinnati Zoo. It just happened to be one of the positions that was open. I was working at Nashville Zoo at the time and I kind of wanted to move closer to home. And the manatee job came open. I thought, well, that'll be a good starting point to get my foot in the door at Cincinnati Zoo. And it took about two days working with them and I was hooked. What did you think you wanted to do? So I thought I wanted to do rhinos or elephants. Okay. So, so yeah. manatees, I kind of, they're related to elephants. I always think of them as the aquatic elephant. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me just a little bit of time to really fall in love with them and fall in love with the program. That's funny. I feel like that's a story, a pretty common story for a lot of keepers is I didn't think this is what I wanted to do. You actually spend some time with the animals. It's so inspiring. and. Yeah. Kept, grab your love really quickly. <laughs> yeah, originally I thought I wanted to work with dolphins. Okay. And because I really like the water. And then I kind of shifted to large terrestrial mammals that I wanted to work with and ended up getting in with manatees. They're really smart, which I didn't think. Because I didn't a lot know of, that. A lot of people don't think they're smart and realized they were kind of just like chill dolphins where <laughs> they didn't feel the need to jump and show off. They just kind of did their own thing. And, yeah, been there ever since. That's funny because from what I know of you, yeah, you mentioned you love the water. And mm -hmm. I assumed you were always into the marine mammal sort of field or wanted that. To get the manatee job, I guess you, you had to have some, like, were you scuba certified? Did you have yes. some experience? Okay. Yes. So when it happened, um, the curator in charge at the time wanted somebody who also had experience with venomous reptiles. And I had that. I went through a college program, um, it's down in Florida, it's Santa Fe College, it's their oh, zoo yeah. animal technology program, so a shout out to all the zooies out there. And so the curator who hired me actually went through that program as well. He wanted somebody scuba certified who was also able to come in and do venomous reptiles. Wow. So it's a weird combination yeah. and I just happen to have it. That's really rare. Right. Like, rare to be venomous trained in general. Yes. And then to have those together. Yes. With marine mammal experience. That's fascinating. Yes. So it was one of those things where I kind of just walked right in. Again, thinking, well, I'll work with manatees for a little bit and then maybe transfer. And that didn't happen. But then I did reptiles for a while, too. So I helped with the backup venomous in the reptile department for a while. So did you work reptiles at Nashville Zoo? No, I was a relief manatee or a relief mammal keeper, sorry. Um, so it was a relief mammal keeper, meaning I was kind of all over the place, which is great. I got a lot of experience with different things. And then there I was mainly anteater. Okay. So I could fill in in other departments, but mostly I was with their collection of giant anteaters. That sounds fun too. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound fun. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you fall in love with manatees? You said it, it took like two days. So manatees, they're so off in left field in terms of the kind of animal that they are. So they, to me, they're so unique. So they're the only marine mammal that's a vegetarian. Again, people don't realize how smart they are, and they are super smart. I had the opportunity to talk to a researcher, and he did stuff with dolphins and manatees. He said they're every bit as smart. They're just wired wow. differently. And the two that we had at the time were long-term animals. So it was Slip and Little Joe, and they're just goofy. And... <laughs> Just such different personalities and pretty dynamic animals. And there was a day where they were drinking. We had a fresh water hose 
going into the pool and they were on their backs fighting over that trying to oh. drink this water and it was the funniest thing oh I'd ever gosh. seen. And it was basically that moment where I was like, oh, these guys are really, really cool. They're very cool. That's Na awesome. <laughs> names like Slip and Little Joe. Like yes. They had to be keepers, right? Yes. So, yeah, they, they had me hooked. You mentioned, though, that those were long-term. So mm -hmm. can you explain to our listeners what you meant by that and yes. what we're doing here? So Slip and Little Joe were kind of a couple of the last manatees that were rescued or born in human care that we thought they couldn't go back out into the wild. So for a long time, if they had found a, an orphan manatee, they thought that they'd bring them in and that was the end of the story. They would stay in human care. They realized they were running out of room in aquariums and also that because manatees are herbivores, because they don't need a tight family group, they're only semi-social, they can be returned to the wild a little bit more easily than something like an orca that has a super strong family group. They have to learn to hunt. Manatees just find their food. It's a lot easier to put them back out into the wild. Okay. So the program really shifted from rescuing and also breeding manatees in human care to let's get all of them out into the wild that we can and then really focus on rehab and return. So Slip and Joe ended up going back out into the wild. Okay. Uh, so some long-term animals, especially the males, they'll give them a shot. If they're not doing well, they can bring them back. So little Joe lives, lives at Epcot okay. right now because he just couldn't hack it. Um, and then the females, like Betsy, when we had her and she was a long-term resident, she's not going to go back out into the wild. And then the rest of them are sick, orphaned, injured animals that stay in human care as long as they need, and they go back out. So we don't really keep anything anymore. Okay. And does that program have a name? So it's the Manatee Rehabilitation Partnership. Okay. And it's multiple facilities in Florida. So there are three that do critical care. There's SeaWorld, Zoo Tampa, and Miami Seaquarium. And Jacksonville helps with that too as a secondary critical care facility. And then in Ohio, we have Cincinnati and Columbus Zoo that help kind of as I compare to like a foster home. Okay. They're not ready for their permanent home out in the wild. They just need a little bit more time. But we help free up space in those critical care facilities so that they can help the more critically injured animals. Our guys just need more time and then we send them back down. And it's pretty rare to see manatees in zoos. If you're from Ohio and you've been to Cincinnati and Columbus, you've seen manatees, you think it's typical, but we are the only zoos outside of the state of Florida that participate in this program. Which is so neat. Yeah. What, a, what an important program. And right. you get to be a part of it and the zoo gets to be a part right. of it. But Yeah, I feel like as keepers, that's got to be a dream program, right? Like in an ideal world, we could send all of our animals back into the wild, but that's not realistic in 99% of the cases. 99% of them cannot right. get released. So it's really cool opportunity to participate in that. Yeah. And it's one of the things that has really kept me in this role is I think it's such a direct impact program. Yes. So without this program, those animals don't have a second chance. It's challenging because every couple years you get new manatees that all have different personalities that mm. you have to manage them without training them you have to manage them without interacting really i'm glad you brought that up yeah. because that is one of the things that helps us take better care of our animals is you know training and doing different things mm -hmm. but you kind of have an extra challenge like if you if you yes. need them to go somewhere or do something you don't you aren't allowed right. you're not supposed to train them because you need them to act like wild manatees right so what are some of the issues you've come across or how do you work around that and I also have to add in, is that hard for relationship building? Do you... So you... That's when... my biggest question. Yes. Yeah, so you don't build relationships. Okay. So... Is that hard for you? That would be hard for me. It is. <laughs> it's really difficult. I was lucky I helped volunteer with wildlife rehab in high school, so I kind of learned. Okay. This isn't about me. Yes. This isn't about me interacting with this animal. This is me doing what I need to do for this animal's future success. With the manatees, it's the same thing. I don't build a relationship. We 
the most important thing that we do is make sure that they're eating well and we want them to be able to shift into their feeding pool, which if you visit the zoo, you'll see that there's the main habitat and then there's a mon video monitor that shows a pool that's behind the scenes. And that pool's super important. That's where we weigh them. That's where we transfer them in and out. So to get them back there, we just make it so that it is super positive. When they hear the door open, they know some of their favorite food's gonna appear magically and that's kind of how we have to manage them. So when we have behavioral issues, like maybe Swim Shady doesn't want to come in when <laughs> Manhattan's inside, we just have to really strategically figure out how we're going to manage and adapt that behavior without actually interacting. So it's always a challenge. Yeah. And then two years from now, it'll be a new set of animals and a new challenge. It's such an admirable role, though, that you're able to take a step back from it and say, this is not about me. It's so easy for us in our department at Africa for us to get so attached to these animals. And I can't imagine how hard that is for you because I'm sure you do get attached, but you have to take that step back and say, yeah. what's best for the animals for me to not interact with it. Right. And that's very admirable. Right. And it's, it is something that I usually remind myself, especially if you do get attached, but at the end of the day, it's all about giving them that second chance. So I do worry when they go back out into the wild, but I look at the beginning of it and go, if it weren't for this, they would already not have survived. Definitely. So every little challenge is, okay, this is their second chance. This is what we need to do to make sure they're doing okay so that they can go back out in Florida and hopefully make more manatees. Yes, that that is kind of the dream, like to be able to send animals, take care of animals, and essentially rescue or save them is like my dream, you know, but a zoo is an incredible place to teach people. And that is one of my favorite parts is the relationship building. Mm -hmm. But if also I could help save the wild animals so directly, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, that is, that has to be worth it. Like yeah. totally worth yes. it. Yeah. So how many different manatees have you been able to work with and release and be a part of? So the zoos housed... 23 manatees as part of the rehab program. Some like Betsy have never gone back out into the wild and I've been a part of 18. Wow. Yeah. So it averages out to more than one per year because I've been here for 15 years. Yeah. Incredible. So we have three orphans yes. currently. Will you tell us about that? Yes. So we have Manhattan, Albie, and Swim Shady. <laughs> Um, so who's already a social media star, yes. by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> name alone. <laughs> we were able to name him. We've been holding on to that name for an opportunity for years. <laughs> and they finally accepted Swim Shady as a name. So yes, he is his own little social media star just because of his name. And he's a really good, chill manatee for the most part. Uh, so there's Manhattan. Manhattan was rescued when he was 62 pounds. Wow. Uh, so he was a little guy. Albie was rescued a little bit before Manhattan. Albie was about 51 pounds. And then Swim Shady was a little older when they rescued him. He was around 200 pounds. With Manhattan and Albie, they had to be bottle fed. Manatees are mammals, so they drink milk. So for at least around the first year, they're bottle fed. Swim Shady, they could tell, they can actually tell by their poo what they're eating. Oh yeah. So they could tell he was still nursing. But he took to eating greens right away, and so they went ahead and just weaned him immediately. So he wasn't bottle fed. How much does a manatee, manatee typically weigh when they're born? So typically, 40 would be pretty small, Okay. but they've been found smaller. Um, so 40 to 60 pounds is kind of average. So Albie and Manhattan were, were very, little, very new. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were little guys. Okay. Do um, you have any idea what happened to no, their mothers? No. Sometimes we know. Uh, when we had Daphne, we knew her mom got hit by a boat. Okay. With Matthew, he was found after Hurricane Matthew, and that happens sometimes where the storm surge separates them. But a lot of times we just don't know. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So it's a little bit sad to talk about, but manatees are struggling, and that's part of the reason we need this program. And you don't know why they were orphaned, but there are other issues that cause... So injury or like um, cold weather, correct, mm -hmm. will bring in 
manatees that need rehabilitation. So tell us a little bit about the issues that are going on with manatees right now. So you may have heard it in the news. Manatees are having a really, really tough year. We would call it an unusual mortality event, meaning that more manatees are showing up deceased than typical. It's so it's already been a record year. They almost set a record in the first six months of oh 2021. Wow. So a lot of it, unfortunately, is a really big issue in Florida where it's the loss of seagrass and especially on the East Coast. What is causing the loss? So what's causing the loss, most people believe that there are a couple factors. One is agricultural runoff and lawn fertilizer sorts of things. So what's happening is those nutrients are going into the waterways and it's causing algae blooms. And the algae blooms block the light out for the seagrasses. So then there's nothing for the manatees to eat. try to eat the algae, but it's not their food source. The other thing is climate change. Just warmer water, more nutrient-rich ability for those things to grow. So that's the biggest issue right now, currently for manatees. Okay. And the other human-related kinds of things, boat strikes are a little bit increased, uh, but it's nothing in comparison to kind of this food source issue that we're having right now. Is the red tide, is that an algae bloom? That is yes. similar or is it, I've heard and experienced it myself and it affects humans too. Yes. It causes coughing. It's killing fish that are washing up on the beach and it's just a horrible thing. Is that, yeah, is that something that's like the manatees are experiencing or is it? So it's different. Okay. So red tide is an algae bloom, but it's toxic. What's happening on the East Coast isn't toxic. It's just blocking out the food source. I see. And the thing with red tide is if you can rescue those manatees, you can usually get them going pretty well. Okay. Um, And red tide is a natural occurrence. So this algae bloom doesn't seem to be, it seems to be far more human cause. Okay. Very interesting. I was thinking, you know, if you want your beaches back, we all need to make difference for yourselves and not the manatees. They do think that some human things such as climate change and fertilizer can make red tide blooms worse, but it's not to the dramatic effect like what's going on in the East Coast. Okay. And yes, red tide, part of it is you want your beaches back. You don't want dead fish all over Let's help clean up the water. Let's yeah. maybe not pollute so much. So there is definitely that human component in Florida where it impacts tourism with the red tide. Okay. Not the same thing. Good yeah. to know. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I mean, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, what brings the manatees here, our manatees that we have here. Could you just talk a little bit more about their personalities and how each of them behaves, what you like, and maybe what's a pain in the butt for you as a keeper to take care of these manatees? So they, all 18 have had different personalities. And so right now, Swim Shady, he tends to be pretty relaxed, pretty chill. Occasionally we do have to dive with them. He leaves us alone. He just looks at us and swims away. Uh, LB for a long time was very, very timid. He was very timid about going into the feeding pool. He was a little bit more cautious about things. Manhattan really hasn't been like that at all. He's pretty adventurous. (laughs) Right now, they're hitting kind of, at least LB and Manhattan are hitting a little bit of those teenage vibes. And Swim Shady's a little bit younger. He's not quite there yet. And so our biggest challenge right now is sometimes if Manhattan's already in the feeding pool, Swim Shady doesn't want to go in. And you can't really do anything about their personality. So it's managing those situations. Sometimes Manhattan will actually like push Swim Shady around and not aggressively chase him or anything like that. To me, it's almost more of a roughhousing play behavior that Swim Shady thinks he wants to participate with and then he realizes, wait, no, I'm too little. And then he's too much. Yeah. And then he kind of freaks himself out. So we have those kinds of things where there are days where it's like, oh come on, Manhattan, just give us a break. Leave him alone. Please <laughs> just give us a break. Everybody settle. So then again we have to go back to the drawing board and go, what if we make a 
log feeder, so a feeder that looks like a log, and we put Manhattan's food in that. Maybe it'll distract him. It's a lot of trial and error. When something new this, every day. Yeah, when yeah. you get those personality shifts, and it is something new every day. There are days that you go, did you guys have a freaky Friday on me? <laughs> like, personalities seem to shift, and you have no idea why. Huh. So yeah. how long does the whole, re I'm sure every manatee is unique, but typically how long is like the average rehabilitation process? How long do you anticipate these manatees being here? So for most orphans, it's about three years for them to reach 600 pounds. So 600 pounds is kind of the magic number where if they go out into the wild and they get in trouble, it's not a critical emergency right away. And three years old would be a very kind of a, the oldest a manatee would leave its mom naturally in the wild. Okay. Usually we'll have them for two years because we'll get them after they're weaned from SeaWorld or Zoo Tampa. Then it depends on the situation. Some manatees, they are able to bring them in, quickly do a procedure, and then put them right back out. Sometimes they'll even do things right in the field where they'll clean a wound, give them an antibiotic injection, put them right back out. When we had Illusion, she was one of the manatees that we had that was actually a boat strike animal. And her injury was so severe, at first they thought she'd lose her tail. Wow. And because it was such a severe injury at first, they decided to give her an additional year just under observations before she could go back out. So it really depends on the animal animal but for us in general we'll have these orphans for about two years you mentioned that they eat seagrass yes and you're feeding them here yes do you, what are you what are we feeding them here tell us about that so these guys eat lettuce so we're feeding them mostly romaine we do 75% of their diet as romaine lettuce and then 25% is a variety of literally almost any other green because we don't want them to think they can only eat romaine. We want them to try new things, but the romaine's most similar to what they would get in the wild. Okay, I was wondering why romaine, and yes. I've seen the amount of boxes you guys yes. get of lettuce. Tell us a little bit about that and the yeah. amounts they're getting. So part of my day is just sorting manatee food, and right now they're getting about 180 pounds every day between the three of them. Wow. 180 pounds. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah. So these guys are the most expensive animal in the zoo to feed. I know, I don't know the exact number now. I know at one point it was around $30,000 per year per manatee. Wow. Wow. And that's part of the reason why a lot of zoos don't want to get into <laughs> yes. it. It's just a, a financial commitment. Yes. So yes, a lot of my days spent sorting through. We pre-sort everything, make sure it's good quality, weigh it out and they will eat that every single day. And these guys are all young. How much does an adult manatee eat? So in the wild, an adult manatee is going to eat between 5 to 10% of their body weight typically every day. A good-sized female could be two to 3,000 pounds. So yeah, wow. doing the math, maybe 300 pounds. Yeah, two to 300 day. pounds wow. per day. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, and with the little guys, we feed them a higher percentage of their body weight per day just because we want them putting on weight. So we do between 12 and 15% typically. And if they're absolutely crushing 15, we'll go a little bit above. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of lettuce. Have you ever had the opportunity to be a part of the bottle feeding? I know that's not, you don't want that. You don't want an orphan that young, but I imagine... I have not. Okay. It's on my bucket list yeah, to bottle feed. <laughs> it's adorable, the videos I've and seen. The videos are phenomenal, but there's also the flip side where those people at the critical care facilities are often every two hours overnight feeding these little babies. So it's also that giant commitment oh, right. of time getting yeah, in the water, putting on a wetsuit at 2 a.m. I yeah. feel like <laughs> we'd probably get old. It's really <laughs> cute quickly. still. Yes, yes it's really <laughs> Still very cute. Yes. Something I definitely wanted to ask about. You mentioned, you know, these manatees are all brought into these critical care facilities all in Florida. They come up to Ohio, mm -hmm. and then from Ohio, they're transferred back to Florida yes. and released into the wild. What is that transportation process like? Have you ever helped out with that? Have you been a part of it? So I've helped with the process, at least arrival and then getting manatees loaded up into the trucks, getting them to the airport. 
weird thing about me is I really don't like flying and we fly them. So <laughs> makes it tricky. <laughs> yes, it makes it tricky. I love traveling, but I hate flying. So with that process, we do fly them. They do not need to be in water because they breathe air. So that surprises a lot of people. Yeah. They are actually in just giant padded boxes that are super strong and reinforced. And we use DHL planes. So we partner with DHL. They'll find a cargo flight that has space for two or three manatee crates and that's how we do it. So I always wonder what those crews think. Like, oh, like do they go <laughs> home is... and tell their family, like, I got to fly manatees today? I'm sure they do. <laughs> if, if you go to the airport, it's always in the wee hours of, of the course. morning. And there's usually a line of people waiting to take a picture. So people waiting to see them because it takes a little while for the plane to load up. And we're there monitoring the animals and spraying them down and things like that. So... You have these little manatee celebrities down at DHL's <laughs> hub. Uh, but I've never done the flying with them personally. I've done one ground transportation where just with flight patterns and things like that, it was going to take about 15 hours with a layover. And so the program decided to drive a couple manatees up. And that one I did because driving is fine. But there's always a care team member and a vet with them when they yes. travel. Good, good point to make. Yes. Did you, when you were a part of that one, did you get to be a part of the release and see them go back into the water? So I've been a part of a couple releases. What is it's, that feeling? So it, it is emotional because you, all of them were animals that I worked with or some of them. And then I ended up doing a few more releases of animals. I didn't know, but it's kind of, that's the end point of this is where you let go and... To the big, bad ocean of... <laughs> yeah, baby bird leaves yes. the nest and you watch them swim away and it's kind of, okay, you're on your own, Junior, and good luck. It's like a mom dropping her kids off yeah. at college. And like... the, big, the, the great thing, though, is they're tracked. Yes. So we are able to keep up on them, make sure that they're in places where they should be and doing okay and they can be brought back if they're not. Who's keeping up with that? Who's watching the tracking and how does that work? So that's all part of the program. Okay. So there are people who go out and do the radio tracking and at first they'll usually check on them twice a week uh, and then after a while it'll be once a week and then most of them if they've made it a full year and they've gotten to their warm water site in winter so they've made their migration they'll go ahead and remove the tracker. Okay. Yeah. Where are they typically migrating to? So it depends what side of Florida you're on, but they'll go from warm water sites in the winter because they need to find warm water. And that could be everything from a natural spring to a man-made source like a power plant or factory discharge. Oh, yeah. I think I've read articles about yeah. that. Yeah, which is super weird to yeah. see. <laughs> uh, if you ever have the chance to go around Tampa, there is a power plant where it's a manatee sanctuary. And so you're driving down this industrial road with this power plant in the background and there could be 200 manatees in this small space wow. not what you expect with the power plant <laughs> right so in the winter they're in their warm water sites and then in the warmer months they're coming out and they're going around florida they'll go as far north sometimes as like south carolina okay and then as far west as maybe texas and then there are a couple weird ones that migrate further than that. There's one named Chessie and he goes up to Chesapeake Bay and wow. after a couple of times being rescued and they realized it was him, they just stopped. He's like, yeah. this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yes. No, people, it was very I like, like the cold. This is what, this is where I go. Wow. Yeah. So they can get into some weird places and some of them, they absolutely know what they're doing. But usually if they find him up there, they'll do one rescue, but yeah, he kept showing up. So and there's seagrass up there for him to eat. Like, yep, there's enough for him to eat along the coast that he was able to keep going. Is That's I hope amazing. it's not as this big of an issue, but is there any thought to potentially planting seagrass or feeding wild manatees romaine or trying to keep the population stable by a human intervention? There are people out there plants. working really on the seagrass issue. Okay. The feeding wild manatees has been brought up in different avenues 
mostly on like social media. Okay. Yeah. But not it's ideal. just not it's there's just no logistics to it. Yeah. If you're having to feed you know, 400 manatees, 200 pounds, of, 200 lettuce a day. pounds <laughs> yeah. of romaine lettuce a day. It's just not practical. Yeah. Not sustainable. Right. Either. Right. Sure. So that's one of those things where unfortunately that solution, yeah, it's just not practical. Yeah. So I did have a silly question mm-hmm. for you. You hear all these like urban legends about mermaids down in Florida. Those are all manatees, right? Like that's not a real thing. So, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you asked me that because I have a small obsession with mermaids too. I thought I, I thought yes. that. Yeah, small I don't obsession know where I got with it mermaids. From, I so I, I think somewhere the cosmos realized I needed to end up with manatees. <laughs> so, no, there aren't real mermaids. If you go to Florida, you can go see the Wikiwachi performing mermaids, <laughs> which is in manatee territory. But it is thought that early sailors, Christopher Columbus, saw this face come up out of the water, this face of a manatee, and Which thought... does not look like a mermaid. No, what? <laughs> and thought, that must be where the mermaid myth came from. Which, yeah, they don't look like mermaids at all. <laughs> I always say that it was a long time at sea for these guys. Yeah, a couple months at the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Probably not great nutrition and a lot of rum. So my guess is they just saw what they wanted to see. There we go. I love it. That's hilarious. There are some people who've tried to make it make more sense, and I always go, that's a little bit of a stretch. They thought, well, because manatees nurse under the front flipper, which is similar to how humans nurse their babies, kind of, maybe that's what they thought. And I go, no, it's just long time at sea. <laughs> they saw what they wanted to see. It's so funny. Oh, man. And you've mentioned they can be found in, you know, they migrate up the Atlantic coast, mm-hmm. they migrate in the Gulf of Mexico, but they're also found in rivers and streams as well. Oh, yeah. Do they have any issues switching back and forth between fresh and salt no. water? So that's a question we get asked a lot. Oh, you have fresh water. I thought they were salt water or vice versa. They don't have any issues going from one or the other. That's pretty neat. Yeah. So they're able, there are some that live down in the Florida Keys and they know where to go get fresh water to drink. So they just stay <gasps> I down. I didn't even think about yep. that. So they just stay down there and they can go find the fresh water source and they'll go in, drink, come back out. Uh, they do like fresh water, but we always say it is absolutely illegal to give them fresh water just because it brings them into where people are. Yeah. But there are some places where, you know, a ditch or something has a little output into a canal and the salt water and a manatee will know that that's a good fresh water source and they'll sit there and drink for a while and go about their day. So when they're in the ocean, they have to find their own fresh water. Yes. How often? And how does that... It's only like every week or so. Okay. So they can go a while without drinking fresh water. They do get some moisture from their food. Okay. But a lot of them are coming and going from the seagrass into the river systems. There are only some that live most their life in salt water and then find that fresh water. I'm glad you brought that up. I've never actually thought that through. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So what is your favorite part of your job? I think for me, it is that challenge of really having to be creative of how to manage these guys in a way where I'm not interacting, where I'm figuring out their personalities without building a relationship. I like that part of it because it's always something a little bit new and just that direct link to conservation. For me, that's huge. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it's such a special message, too. Like, not every keeper gets to have that. And I'm sure it's very special to be able to take that home with you every Mm -hmm. day. Yeah. I still can't get over the fact that you were, like, perfect for this job. Like, what are the odds? (laughs) And then you didn't think you would be into it, and now here you are. Yeah, it was one of those. Just thought it would be a stepping stone, and it absolutely wasn't. Do you have a favorite manatee you worked with in the past, or a favorite manatee that we currently have? I know it's frowned upon to pick favorites, but we all do it. (laughs) So my favorite manatee ever that I've worked with was Little Joe, and he's the one that lives at Epcot right now. (laughs) At least you can visit him if you want. Yeah, exactly. And he was just 
goofy and such a sweet animal, but just kind of dopey at the same time. <laughs> he was one where we all like, when he was going out into the wild, we were like, yeah, we don't, we don't know about him. <laughs> that feeling was right. Yeah, we don't know about him. And he ended up being found after his second trial kind of near SeaWorld, downtown Orlando, stuck in this little pond that he had gotten into when water got high, oh, no. and they realized it was Joe, and he, there's a photo of him sticking his head out of the water oh, looking at people, so I think he just was like, hey, where's Orlando? That's where I need to be. Not looking out for Mickey. Eat, yeah, not out doing wild manatee things, where are my people? So, Little Joe's my favorite. Betsy's like my second favorite. And she was the exact opposite of Joe. A real manatee. She was <laughs> sassy and smart as could be and stubborn. So, getting Betsy to do anything at 2,400 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. She was a challenge. You had to problem solve constantly, yes. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Betsy. That's awesome. Betsy. How long can they hold their breaths underwater? Obviously, so, you mentioned they're mammals. They yes. need to come up for air. It depends what they're doing. So if they're sleeping, about 20 minutes is a good breath hold. If they're being active, they have, just like us, you have to breathe a little bit more. Average is three to five minutes. How deep are they typically sleeping? Like how, what depth yes. or how, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, <laughs> or like how conscious. Directly. No, at what depth of water do they So manatees sleep? don't. Do they go to the, base, they, the basement. Yes. Wow. Yes. Hello. It's Monday. They go to the bottom. <laughs> yes, they go to the bottom. Okay. So most of the time they rest on the bottom. They're not like whales and dolphins. Whales and dolphins can be like fully asleep and they're suspended in the water. They're not on the bottom. Manatees sleep on the bottom. They're a little bit negatively buoyant at okay. that point, so they sink. And they can rest at the surface if they want, but most of the time they're sinking. They don't like deep water. Okay. So they get uncomfortable in deep water. Usually they're in 10 to 15 feet kind of max. And that's because if you are a, an air breather yeah. and you're way on the bottom and you kind of sink when you're sleeping, like it gets scary. Yeah. yeah, if you're at 200 feet, that's a really scary yeah. way to wake up and have to go to the surface. Yeah, for sure. Is a manatee able to, like, consciously regulate its buoyancy? Like, can it take yes. in air? Yeah. Expel air? Yeah. Okay. So I've watched them sleep at the surface before, just keeping their backs way up and their lungs super inflated. Yeah. And the, technically, the way their diaphragms work and control their lungs... In theory, they could control where the air is in their lungs and do barrel rolls just by doing that. So wow. they're able to control all of that. And their lungs are super big along their back. That's fascinating. That's incredible, yeah. Yeah. And how fast do they swim? Usually it's about three miles per hour. Okay. It's pretty slow. They can do 20 miles per hour in short bursts, wow. which is almost dolphin speed. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize. Are they using they their front flippers or more of the back? Just tail? the back, okay. the paddle. Okay. Yep. So kicking that paddle, using their front flippers to kind of navigate, and they can turn on a dime and they can stop on a dime. I mean, they're cool. very in control of their body. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. The whole buoyancy thing is fascinating yeah. too. That's, I didn't realize they could move that quickly. I guess yeah, I just I always kind of picture yeah. them as the, as the cows of the ocean. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they if they need to. They can move very quickly and they can turn very quickly. Wow. So if you're around them, the only real danger is just they're big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're big. Might run you over. <laughs> if something scares them suddenly, that's a lot of animal, you know, moving very quickly. Which, uh, that brings up a good point that maybe we could teach some people who might come across a manatee in the wild. If you're snorkeling or something, what is the appropriate thing you should do? So, manatees are a protected species. You are not ever supposed to approach manatees in the wild. They will occasionally approach people, and with any animal encounter in the wild, it's basically you let, you kind of let them do what they mm -hmm. are going to do. So you don't approach them, keep your hands to yourself, stay very still. If you're a place where you can slowly exit, that's 
probably your best mm -hmm. thing to do. Just kind of get yourself out of the situation so that you're not really interacting. That being said, there are places where you're legally allowed to interact with wild manatees. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. So in Crystal River, Florida, they are still allowed to put swimmers in with wild manatees. On and, purpose. Mm -hmm. Why is wow. that? So from my understanding is because their entire economy in the town was based around this. Oh. So it was based around these manatee things. And so they were kind of given an exemption. Yes. Okay. And manatees in other areas will approach people. They don't have any natural predators, so it lends them to being very curious and not super scared of things. So people ask me about that a lot. I always say, really do your research. If you want to go down there, I've done it personally. Research who you go with. Make yeah. sure it's a company where they are following the rules. So say is it monitored and there aren't people? Yes. It's you know small groups doing it the way that's respectful. And for okay. me, respectful is hands to yourself. Mm -hmm. Their choice. Their <laughs> choice. Yeah, don't chase mm -hmm. them. And if you find the right people who can take you out, it is an amazing experience. Sure, yeah. And so one of my things is going out and seeing wild animals. I love going out and seeing wild animals on the ocean, but every time making sure that it's done in a way where the animals put first. Definitely. Yeah. Because those interactions can really inspire people. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Manatees are endangered? They're no longer federally endangered. Okay. And that's a big thing right now. There are some senators trying to push to get them back on the endangered species list because this year has been so bad. The year before it wasn't great, so the direction's not going the right way. So they once were on the endangered species yes. list. And what brought them off of it? What helped or what, how did So their change? population grew quite a bit. Despite so, all this climate dis change, despite like, yeah, do we know why? Like what? So I them? think a lot of it was just the protections that had been put in place. Oh, good point. Yeah. And rehab program. Mm -hmm. So there was a program helping manatees that yeah. were in trouble, and there were lots of protections put into place. Both yeah, so we should keep them. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think so. Right. And so they're still protected, and they're still protected in terms of the Marine Mammal Protection Act. It's just when they lose that endangered status, then it, it developers can come in. There's a little bit more leeway yeah. in their habitat. Yeah. But nobody predicted this change in their food source. Yeah. And that's going to be a hard fix. Okay. So if we can get them back on that endangered species list, in my opinion, you'll be able to have more focus to make the hard changes that we might need to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially since it's such a huge part of the population. Yeah, yeah. No and more development in the areas that right, you know, and exactly. making some more rules about hey, can you fertilize your yeah. lawn in Florida? Can agriculture? Can we make some rules around that so that way we can start bringing in the seagrass again, and yeah. then if they find a way to replant it, have the funding because now they're endangered, which has different different criteria right yeah. yeah the endangered status it it holds so much weight so mm -hmm. much more protection yes. so much more funds are then available and allocated to helping the species yeah. out and it's just unfortunate that it has to get to that you know you'd right. like to think that we it's could like, take some preventative yes. measures like, right. let's get ahead of this let's stay ahead right. of this we got ahead of it that's right uh, well uh this has been so interesting mark do you have a, a trivia quiz for of course oh, of course i've always got trivia for okay. you guys lined up if you're ready for it so per usual i'm not ready but here we go per usual kind of gets a little more ridiculous as we go but <laughs> okay. we got five questions for you guys today first question was actually already answered i'll let you answer it one more time though how many manatees has the cincinnati zoo rehabbed and released back into the wild was I listening? Oh my gosh! I'm gonna let like, you answer. Like, oh no, this is actually just a test for me. It's for Jenna. Oh my gosh. Is it 23? Yes. Yay! 23. She got it. And she you was were listening. part of 18. Yes. Yay! 18. Okay. Incredible. Incredible. 
just a little bit about, you know, that just speaks to how much work the zoo has done over the years to really help the species. Lindsay herself oh has done over the years you can say, to help the species. Like, hands on. Awesome. Oh my gosh, yes. 18 manatees released. Awesome. Just a, a curious anatomical fact about manatees here. How many neck vertebrae do Ooh, manatee have? I know this one. Oh my gosh. Okay, so most mammals have seven. Yes. Including giraffe, which yes. their necks are giant. But Correct. manatees have a different number, right? Yes. Okay. I don't know that I know the number, but I'm going to guess. Okay. Because you know it. Yes. Right? I don't even know if it's more or less. They have no necks in my opinion. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's, it's zero. Okay. <laughs> Is it six? Yes. Yes, yes. you got it. Yes. So they can't really turn or their head very much. So that's another thing with manatees. Sometimes when you're managing behavior and they decide that they're, they want to look behind them, they'll take their time, turn all the way around, and then take their time and turn all the way back around. Very patient to yes. work with them. Which is funny. Well, that's a whole other story. Why they have six, but they're related closestly, closest to elephants. Yep, they're and just off in left field. Yeah. Interesting. All, over, all the way. <laughs> it's just so fascinating. Like you said, you've got animals all the way from a giraffe to a mouse all have seven vertebrae. Yeah, but not and a then manatee. manatees. Nope. They're like, nah, yeah. we don't need that one. <laughs> Insane to me. Crazy. All right. A little bit about um, some, some history here. The stellar sea cow okay. is an extinct relative of the manatee. How large was the stellar sea cow? I'll accept feet and pounds. Like, how long was it in feet, and how much did it weigh in pounds? Pretty sh I don't know the pounds, but I think they topped out around 30 feet. Wow. I mean, stellar makes me think that they're bigger. Stellar because of whatever that guy was who also named Stellar's <laughs> J yes. and Stellar's Stellar Sea Lion. Yeah, yes. so it's that Stellar. Okay. Stellar is big and grand yes. to me, too. Uh, so you guessed 30 yes. feet, or maybe you know it. I'll guess, and you said a typical, a large female can be over almost 3,000 pounds, right? For a manatee. And For a manatee, yes. Max would be like... 15 feet would be absurdly okay. large for wow. a female. So we're go I'm going with 10,000 pounds. Oh my god. You guys are something else today. 30 <laughs> feet long, yes! 10,000 pounds. Oh that is incredible. Incredible. <laughs> Stellar sea cow. What a good guess. You know, in terms <laughs> of weight, almost five times the size of an wow. adult manatee. Yeah. Absolutely massive. They're roughly the size of an orca. What? Would have loved to see one of them. Wow. That would be a big male yeah. orca, yeah. too. Yes. That, and that 30 feet's the size of, like, a female sperm whale. Wow. Yeah, massive. Can you imagine that? Just And they were cold, swimming cold water. Oh. Cold hardy, yeah. yeah. They lived in the Bering, Bering Sea area, yeah. When and did they go extinct? 1768. Yeah, it was within, I think, 27 or 28 years of Europeans discovering them. They ate them all. <gasps> yes. What? Yeah. So it was completely unnatural. If yes. they didn't eat them, they'd be here. Yeah, no, it yeah. did. Like, you think of that and you think dinosaur times, but no, it was far more recent. And, yeah. yeah, people Just ate, a couple hundred years ago. Ate all of them. <gasps> Hopefully there's a Sorry. lesson we can learn from that. Oh my Hopefully. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, Next. getting off the, off the beaten path with this one. <laughs> These are, manatees are from Florida, obviously, so... Florida has some crazy stuff going on. <laughs> of course, I'm sure everyone knows. <laughs> In Sarasota, Florida, where manatees can be found, it is illegal for humans to do what while wearing a bathing suit in public? <laughs> I always think these laws are so interesting. There's random laws throughout the country here. <laughs> so it is illegal to do what in Sarasota while wearing a bathing suit in public? So if you were wearing clothes, they'd be allowed to do it? Correct. Just not a bathing suit. Eat ice cream is my guess. Not ice cream. Do you have a guess, Jenna? Skateboard. Not skateboard. It is sing. It is illegal to sing. <laughs> I'm sure that law gets broken every single day on the beach what? by thousands of people. Wow. <laughs> Better things to worry about than that. <laughs> Florida. Florida, yeah. Yikes. One more Florida one here. Last question. This one's kind of a shout out to Sam down in Key oh, West, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Hope Robert's treating you well. <laughs> in what year did Key West, Florida declare independence from the United States? heard of this. Bizarre story. I'd never heard of it until I found it online. <laughs> no, I have zero idea. I'm, I'm, gonna, like, I'm just going to guess 1920. 
Jenna? 1947. 40s. You're both a little off. It's more recent. Okay. It's more recent. It was April 23rd of 1982. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Key West declared the name of the Contra Republic and independence from the U.S. It turns out it was just kind of a publicity stunt by the mayor. He was trying to drive tourism and get the name of Key West more out there. So they declared war on the U.S., declared independence, then they declared war on the U.S., and then surrendered all within the span of about five minutes. Oh so, <laughs> they were just bored. <laughs> some crazy stuff happens down there. Wow. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Man. I'm okay. impressed that you guys got all your manatee facts. I'm yeah. super hey, impressed. Yes. Stellar I, sea cow facts. You know, I used to teach those overnight adventures, and I was hey. in the building. I'm sure I read plaques or you yeah. know, <laughs> things a while back and learned it and somehow remembered it today. But, all right, Jenna. Do we got anything else for Lindsay? Yes. Lindsay, tell us what, what can I do? Okay. So my favorite thing in terms of water conservation and helping out the waterways is to participate in cleanups because it's something that you can do practically wherever you live. Yeah, for so sure. So if you're in Ohio and Cincinnati, we have a lot of waterways, a lot of opportunities to go out and help clean up. Eating pollution is a threat to manatees. Getting tangled in fishing line is a threat to manatees. So I feel like any of that we can get out of those waterways is huge. And a lot of people like to vacation at the beach. I always make it a tradition that when I go to the beach, I'm going to, before I sit down, I'm going to spend some time picking up garbage just because I don't want it to go into the waterway. And then I can go about my day. I love that. That's such an Easy, easy, impactful tradition. Yes, yeah, super easy to do, and you never ever know what little bit might actually make a huge yeah. impact. There's a story about a gray whale that died, and the thing that killed that whale was just this three inch piece of plastic from a DVD case that they found in his stomach. Wow. And so, anytime I see those pieces, I think that might be the one yeah. that actually saves a turtle, that saves a whale. So a lot of times people get discouraged that maybe their actions don't actually mean anything, but it actually could make a huge, Definitely. huge difference. And that's one of the things that I like to do just to keep myself helping the oceans as much as possible. I love that because, yeah, it's a good point. Anything even in Ohio can end up in the ocean. Absolutely. So you can make a difference here. And then if you do go to the beach and you're with friends or family and you each spend 30 minutes picking up mm -hmm. trash every morning, that's going to be, sadly, yeah. you're probably going to find a lot of trash. But yes. it's a big impact and, I mean, something easy to do. Get mm -hmm. some exercise. and. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Pick up trash wherever you are, even if you're not near the water. Right. But I love that. I right. love it too. It doesn't only have an impact on manatees, you know, right. all the fish, all the marine life in the ocean, the rivers, the birds are picking up shiny yeah. things and yep. feeding them to their little ones. So great. I love, it. I love that too. Yeah, it's been so interesting. I think you should be so proud of all the work you do you. and the things you've gotten to help definitely. with. Definitely. And we really appreciate you being here yeah, today. Thanks for letting me come talk about manatees anytime. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lindsay. We really appreciate you having on today. So I'm Mark. And I'm Jenna. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales.